welcome to the JMS Podcast with Jorge M. Sanchez. Thank you for tuning in to another great episode. We got a lot going on on this episode. and But before we do all that, I just want to say hello. How are you doing? How's the uh, exercise going? If you're listening in from a gym. Are you driving somewhere? Are you listening while you're driving? Are you taking one of those trips? I hope it's somewhere important. I hope it is somewhere productive. Or if not, I hope it's somewhere pleasurable. Are you, I don't know, maybe you're studying. Are you studying, huh? Am I providing ambiance to your study? I sure hope so. I sure hope so. Uh, please subscribe to the JMS Podcast if you have not already. You can do so on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, uh, CastBox, Android app, and many other places I'm sure are out there. You can follow the JMS Podcast on social media on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can also check out the website at jmspodcast.com where you get actually um, join the email list that's available on the homepage of the website where I send out, you know, occasionally updates. I also send out some extra content uh, for people who are on the email list. So I think it's worth it. Go check it out. And of course, you can donate to the JMS Podcast on Patreon. Any little bit helps. And you can email me for any reason at all, just to say hi even, at jmspodcast at gmail.com. Man, it's been a long week. God, these past two weeks has been extraordinarily busy with me. Went to a wedding, a friend's wedding, and it was really nice. It was nice and small and very simple. And considering that in your 20s, you're practically going to a wedding every summer. Uh, and I'm sure in your 30s, even more, I'm sure, um, made me realize that I made a mistake. I made too many friends. When you have to go to a wedding every summer, you've made too many friends, in my opinion. And uh, don't get me wrong, all my friends are great. I love them. But, you know, going to their weddings at a certain point doesn't really make it worth it. Am I a shitty person for saying that? Maybe. But all I'm saying is, uh, can I just have one wedding a summer? That'd be great. You know, and if you're like, you know, Jorge, we shouldn't invite you. Be like, no problem. I get it. I totally get it. I totally get it. No, but seriously, this wedding was was great. I had, I had a lot of friends who are from out of town, and of course, we uh, we created chaos as usual. And it was good seeing them. And it's it's kind of depressing a little bit because all my friends are getting married and they're looking at me as the next one, and I'm like, ah, I don't know about that. And if I did have a wedding, I don't think I would invite anybody for the same reason, right? I don't want to put them through that as much as they're putting me through what they're doing. But yeah, so that's my t- that's what I've been busy. That's why that's why it's been hectic. I've been losing some sleep, but hey, I think it's from now on everything should be okay. I think we should be oh smooth sailing for now, hopefully. Did I mention I have Jen Gonzalez here on the podcast today? That's right. She is a comedian. She's all over the place. She she travels quite a bit for for stand up and for many other reasons. And uh, it was a pleasure to have her on. Uh, we had a good talk because me and Jen we we had some not history necessarily, but we come from a similar uh, place. Maybe is is that what I'm looking for? Point is, is like we knew each other before we got into comedy. Both of us. We knew of each other. We didn't know each other. We knew of each other, kind of. I think that's the point I'm trying to make. 
and uh, she's making great strides in comedy. She's she's hilarious. She comes by for Scotty occasionally. It's always a pleasure, and she uh, is totally out there. And and I think um, she a lot of great things are coming towards her uh, because she is that talented. So Jen Gonzalez is here. Got a great talk with her. But before we get to her, we do have a segment. Today's segment of Weird New World with Ryan Sudakran. We talk about the human body modification trends that's been happening lately. I find them quite interesting. And I think it was a very interesting talk. So let's start there. Let's head on over with Ryan Sudakran and let's see what he has to say about the the recent uh, technology to modify your body. Welcome to another episode of Brave New World with Ryan Sadakran. How you doing, Ryan? I'm doing good. Doing, doing good. Right? How's the heat treating you? Treating me okay. Very hot. I have to take multiple showers. I just get sweaty. Me too. Me too. Just too much hair, man. Too much hair? Too much. Is that the problem? Because I'm balding and it's not helping. I don't... Yeah, so apparently hair is supposed to be like... Uh, it's that they act like heat fins, you know, to cool you. But I think when I wear shirts and my chest hair is under my shirt... The hair just acts as like water wicking, so it does just it's just a wet spot on my chest. Mm. It's gross. I don't like it. You know, well, that's kind of related to the topic today, right? Uh, the body. Right. Yes. So, what's the topic today? The topic is the future of the body. The human body. The human body and human hair, specifically human chest hair. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> it's the future of the body in general. And so I, uh, it's an interesting topic for me because one of my favorite genres of science fiction is this genre called cyberpunk. And cyberpunk is kind of like, so you know how like traditional, I, I'd say traditional sci-fi is very clean cut, very like um, idealistic for the future, like, like Star Trek, right? Like, oh, this is such a utopian Earth society. Mm-hmm. Everyone is like in these pristine spaceships. Everyone's wearing uniforms. Everyone's like, it, it's like the, the peak of humanity, like technology and humanity. They go in, uh, in like a, a direction to something beautiful. Right. Cyberpunk, on the other hand, is like kind of a grittier look at, at sci-fi, a grittier look at technological advancement. So like say that uh, in the future, we merge with robots in certain ways. Like we have uh, cybernetic implants or, uh, you know, uh, different types of like augmentations. We'll, what will that effect mm. have on society? So practically you're talking about how the human body can organically mix in with technology. Yeah, yeah. And so um, there are, like we're not at the point where um, you can like readily go to a store and buy a new robotic arm and have that, you know, replaced uh, at an easy cost where but we're at the point where those technological advancements are kind of in the horizon like there's a lot of research being done to like yeah replace certain body parts with these artificial implants and well as far as i know there's two particular reasons why um this is a field that people are looking into one is already to help people who are who are missing limbs who are right. missing certain you know body parts and from replacements like prosthetics and the other is the enhancement of the of the human body in some way, or the enhancement of of living and u- utilizing the body to the best possible way. Right, right. So I think uh, we are definitely more in the stage of the former, 
where it's people who are paraplegics or people who are born with some sort of disability creating these medical uh, these devices as medical devices to help them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think we are too close to the point where anyone can buy these as an enhancement or as kind of a recreational for lack of a better term, type of augmentation. But I do think that that is the future because all of these types of things start as like either medical or military inventions right. and then eventually trickle down into the consumer space. Well, I think the ideal thing that could attract people is modifications. Yeah. The yeah. idea that you can modify your body. Yeah. And, and there are, you know, there are uh, uh, a group of people, I guess I'll go to my first topic, uh, a group of people called biohackers that are kind of taking this in stride uh, there, it's not a corporate entity or anything. It's just a group of people who are trying to find ways to themselves kind of quote unquote hack their body. Every year, the world's most extreme body hackers gather at a home in the mountains beside the Mojave Desert for Grindfest, a weekend devoted to the merging of body modification and technology. This year culminated with an electrified knife fight, but the main draw was the implantation of anything from magnets to microchips. You know, I mean, people have been doing piercings for so long that it's kind of, oh, their piercing artists are doing this and that's okay. The fact that we're using technology when we're doing this, people think of it as something different and it seems like, oh, this is probably some dangerous thing and like, you know, these schmoes in a garage are like cutting themselves or whatever. And it's like, no, we actually do uh, a lot of research. We put a lot more effort into it than, you know, for example, a new implant for the body modification community would. Biohacking and grinding appealed to me because I was just looking for the next step, you know? We're always chasing after what's going to be the next big thing. And to me, grinding and biohacking encapsulates almost all of the next big things. Is this a movement or is this a particular... I'd say it's a movement. Biohacking okay. is a movement you can find different forums online of people all over the world trying to do it. So it's not, it's not like a formal organization? No, no, no. So okay. it's, it's kind of like a grassroots, underground type of thing. And so a lot of people are trying to like... Uh, uh, implant themselves with certain electronic devices to monitor their levels of like their blood levels and things like that um the one popular thing is implanting rfid chips or devices that can interface with some sort of uh using some sort of signal to a computer device so there's like the ceo of this biohacking company i think he's trying to make a startup uh what he did was he implemented an rfid chip and he synced that to his front door so anytime he's within range he can press a like press something on his wrist and it'll open the front door automatically. And so this is just, it's like basic circuitry, but he's implanting it in Sounds his Sounds like body. laziness. Just open the fucking yeah, door. Exactly. I mean, that's what I think. But this, but the, the thing is like, uh, it starts with stupid shit like this. <laughs> Most signs start with stupid yeah. shit. <laughs> it starts with dumb stuff like this. And then, but then like the principles used like to make that, because there's a lot of problems even in doing something simple like that. Like what kind of materials do you use that doesn't irritate your skin, irritate the inside of your arm that your body won't reject and your body won't reject so right. so that itself is an interesting question like uh, uh you know apart from the circuitry like just the material science behind it that's mm-hmm. interesting so if they can do that on a simple level then maybe you can broaden it to, to more complicated devices got it and so so this biohacking movement is is starting right now it's not huge but i do think it'll be a big forefront in the future when this technology is more readily available mm-hmm. so that's one angle um and there's there's a lot of subtopics i wanted to get through uh the next one that I think is more realistic right now is uh, the idea of uh, exoskeleton suits. So this oh, is right, yeah. So exoskeleton suits. This is not necessarily um, a replacement of any sort of limbs or a uh, an addition to the body. It's more of a it's more of like a a, a tool that people can use. So like uh, an exoskeleton suit essentially is it's like imagine like the space suit. But uh, instead of like something that's protecting you, you you attach your 
your arms and your legs to these uh, like mechanical devices, sometimes like pneumatic like pressure devices to help like essentially to make you stronger. Mm-hmm. So rather than having uh, only the ability to lift 100 pounds, maybe you can lift 200, 300, 400 pounds with the added help of this uh, skeletal system, exoskeletal system. So it'll right. be like an extra set of joints right. and artificial muscles. A Canadian inventor, mechanical designer, and potential real-life Iron Man has successfully lifted a car with his homemade exoskeleton. James uh, Hobson of Kitchener, Ontario, has been dabbling in exoskeletons for about two years now and joins us now in studio. You are not in uniform. I'm afraid not. (laughs) So how did it go, uh, the experiment lifting a car today? Uh, Pretty great. Uh, We were doing it in the back corner of the uh, studio parking lot, and we actually lifted the truck up with uh, the host of the Daily Planet in the back of the truck and Mm -hmm. uh, went off without a hitch. I read an article recently where the uh, first group of soldiers in the U.S. Army are, are being put together to use the exoskeleton on a on a daily basis for their training yeah yeah so th- that's another thing so it's I think the main two uh, facets of this thing are um, military use and uh, industrial uh, manufacturing use I think that makes sense yeah because like if, if you're working in a warehouse or if you're working in a manufacturing plant rather than having to use cranes or other uh, giant tools if you could just equip certain certified factory workers with these exoskeletal suits right. you'd have greater precision probably have greater efficiency well I'm sure it's safer as well you don't want nobody breaking pulling something breaking their back yeah exactly exactly like so it would give added support there and on top of that I believe it's also great for endurance for you know uh, traveling yeah if you're hiking or stuff like that more endurance yeah, I mean, so uh, there is another, uh, I was reading, uh, people have the idea of maybe even creating like super sports uh, where athletes are fitted with these exoskeletal suits. Because who wouldn't want to see people like freaking jumping 50 feet in the air? Right. Like like maybe a new type of MMA where you're just... Well, I think, I mean, there go so many ways with these exoskeletons. Very similar to like Iron Man in some ways. Yeah. Iron Man is, a, is an example, a pop culture example of essentially what is an exoskeletal suit mm-hmm. uh, obviously we're not at that point yet but but you can totally or like that that robot thing in avatar if you've seen avatar right yeah so those are uh th- yeah those are examples of what it could be but i think it'll start off with like very basic stuff like moving boxes or moving large packages or for the u.s army endurance based um uh, activity yeah. yeah and that kind of leads into i guess the biggest subtopic here is um prosthetics mm-hmm. and so there are various different pushes towards smart prosthetics. So the, your typical prosthetic would be like, you know, uh, I mean, I guess the first ever prosthetic would be like a wooden leg on a pirate, right? That is technically a prosthetic. Yeah. I mean, now... <laughs> pretty advanced for its time. Pretty advanced for its time, yeah. Uh, but now at least we can do things that definitely are the shape of a human leg or right. at least uh, mimic the functionality in, in some basic way. Like if you remember Oscar Pistorius ran on blades. Uh, the, the guy that shot his girlfriend? The guy that shot his girlfriend. But sorry, just no. It's an elephant in the room. Once you bring him up, it is true. I mean, uh, regardless of who he was as a person, his prosthetics were cool. Right. His prosthetics didn't shoot his girlfriend. <laughs> the fucking the knives didn't. Right. <laughs> well, but you know that I think he was a pioneer in sports as far mm-hmm. as competing with you know with the prosthetics. Yeah. Uh, which opened up a, a division of sports, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, the, I think a lot of para-athletes uh, definitely use him as inspiration. And and his technology was it's good. It was very smart, right? The design of the blades is very smart in terms of distribution of pressure and things like that. Uh, but there's there are uh, designs that are built for more functionality. So 
there's like move there's there's types of prosthetics that are that are more uh, robotic in the sense that there's ones that actually uh, react the grip reacts to the angle of the of your uh, of your cut limb so if, for example if I were to get a replacement arm at my elbow say my arm was cut off at my elbow mm -hmm. the uh, depending on the position of uh, my stub uh, the arm would I don't know if stub is a technical term but the arm would react yeah right so in even even some of these some of these prosthetics ha could even uh, have electrical connections to the muscles that are cut off or could even have skin level electrodes that can sense the twitches of the muscle that is cut off and based on the twitches change the grip of the hand oh man it's and pretty cool it's pretty cool yeah so so they have like a microprocessor inside that is processing all of these signals from the cut off muscles mm -hmm. and so this is like something that's really really interesting because i mean right now the functionality is pretty basic like i'm sure you can't replicate the exact specific control mechanisms of like fingers and things that's very complicated that would require possibly brain interfacing which isn't also too far off but but just based on the muscle electrical impulse reading, that shows that we're able to create these robotic arms that can respond to electrical signals from the body on some level. Mm -hmm. And that will lead into like, you know, connecting you to your brain and things like that. So it's, it's, it is very cool. There's a lot of different types of these prosthetics and like different companies are competing. So this, 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 this type of prosthetic um, technology is on the, um, uh, private market or, or like uh, companies are competing in this space mm -hmm. and that's purely because of the medical uh, advancements right. the, like it's in the medical field it's not I don't think it's consumer yet uh, no uh, it's not consumer yet but definitely it's it's growing in the medical field and I think this competition will eventually produce products that are cheap enough where if people cheap enough and reliable enough where pe if people really want to replace their arms you know maybe they can Right? right like maybe it's an operation which has such a high success rate and low failure rate where it's like this arm could even be more reliable than your human muscles mm -hmm. uh, because uh, not only are we creating um, prosthetics that interface with our pre-existing muscles we're creating prosthetics that actually interface with lab grown tissue and if and it's easier co to connect the lab grown tissue to your pre-existing tissue right using stem cells so if you if you can if you can generate body parts on the fly Right, with either like 3D printing tissue or uh, creating this lab-grown uh, intermediary tissue in the lab, you can probably connect a highly like reliable human-like prosthetic in the future. Mm -hmm. Right, so if if we're able to uh, figure out exactly how these muscles interface with each other and how the brain sends signals to them, we could effectively like perfectly recreate a human arm. I mean, that's I don't I don't know how far off that is, but. But it's oh, when you look at like the research that's being done here, it's pretty promising. It's kind of cool, mm -hmm. like at least what we can do. Like the fact that muscles can interface with these. Now, do you think it is maybe ethical is not the right word for it, but just the idea that people can uh, replace their limbs, like people who don't need it, people who who are not paraplegic or people who who did not suffer from an accident and get a limb removed, but instead just simply want a metal arm do you do you think i guess in the, i would get it in a democracy in a free market you get whatever the yeah. fuck you want but i do see some potential issues of uh a, a weaponization of it mm -hmm. that could be possible yeah but the yes uh i here's the thing when the technology is available people are going to use it and people are going to use it for good and for bad is 100 percent sure of that because uh, that's just how 
technology is. When it is available, people will utilize it for its benefits and, and, and they'll abuse it as well. I get your point. It's a tool and it's up to the human who you Yeah, okay, so in, in my view... We've I, gone through this rabbit hole way too many we times. Yeah, we have. This is like the <laughs> perennial discussion. Uh, but I do think that the benefits of it outweigh the negatives. I hear you. Yeah, and, it makes and, sense. And I do think, I do think it'll actually... Uh, I mean, in terms of negatives, the negatives will be very interesting because I do think it'll get into people's like shopaholic tendencies, people's tendencies. Shopaholic? Yeah, yeah. So like, here's the thing. You know how like uh, before you know it, you're just ahead. You you don't know <laughs> like people who start tattooing. I mean, right. tattooing is is a very very basic level of human augmentation. You're changing your appearance. Right. Right. So people who tattoo, people get ex- uh, extreme plastic surgery. Mm-hmm. Right. People keep going back to plastic surgery if they have the money. Like there's like people in Hollywood that look like lizards now. Sure. Right. And so like that kind of if if these bi- parts are cheap enough and even, even if they're not cheap enough, if they're available, I think a lot of people will, will, will really augment themselves to the point where they're not recognizable as a human being. That is possible. Well, in some ways, it also leads room for us to reshape what it means to look human. Yeah. Yeah, and exactly, right? Like, why is it that, like, the way... A lot of people have this this idea that, like, oh, uh, you know, it's right because it's natural. Like, that argument, right? Like, it's natural. Human beings are naturally meant to do this, so it's it's correct. There's no rule book for humanity. There's mm-hmm. no preset laws. I mean, if you're religious, you believe there are preset laws, then it's a whole different discussion. Well, in some ways, it's just uh, speeding up evolution in some ways. It is. I think it is, because, like, if we are using more of what nature is giving us. And nature, in the sense, is more than just plants and animals. Nature is the laws of nature. Nature are the laws of electricity, the laws of materials, right? We're utilizing that. And so, like, if we augment ourselves, we're just utilizing nature to, to make our life better, mm-hmm. to, to make the ideal life. We're shaping our life using these tools. So I don't see it as negative, in a sense. Funny. All right, we've got to wrap up. All right. Um, closing statements. Closing statements. Uh, I think... What do these uh, changes to the human body, what do you feel will bring forth to the future of mankind? I think it will help us uh, coexist with technology in a way that isn't... I mean, I hope. I hope it'll help us uh, kind of connect as a society more, um, which is like the hope of technology. Technology should make the quality of life for everyone better. And I hope that it will bring that... I'm sure there'll be road bumps along the way. Humanity will change as a species, not on the genetic level, but just in the way that we access the world. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I think that it's a good, it's it's a scary and mysterious and interesting journey, and we shouldn't be afraid to embark on it. I think we should we should go on it and fix the problems as they come. And mm-hmm. so yeah, and so so I think and I think in general it is a good thing. It is a good direction to go into. Sounds good, Ryan. Thank you for coming. Yeah, thanks for having. Me. So shoot me an email about your take of the future of human modification. I'd love to hear your ideas or your take on them or whether you're for it or you're not. Who knows? Send me an email at jmspodcast at gmail.com. All right, let's move on to Jen Gonzalez. We had a great talk, great talk about comedy, about growing up in the area, and she has a very interesting background. 
So check her out on social media. Find her performing comedy if she's in your town or whether she's here in LA or that's it here in LA. I mean, if she's here in San Jose, but occasionally, I think she lives in LA. So you never know. So search for Jen Gonzalez on Facebook or whatever social media you got. I'm sure she has all of it. Uh, did, did I just assume she has social Yes, I did. I'm pretty sure she has all of it. All right. You can find her pop in at Friscotti. Come on out. Every Wednesday night, I am running a comedy open mic uh, at Cafe Friscotti in downtown San Jose. And it was a great, great time last time. And I think uh, as the years have gone by, the crowds have gone bigger. And it's just a very fun night. So uh, did I just plug in my, my open mic when introducing Jen Gonzalez? Uh, yes, I did. Because that's where you could find her if you like her life story. Check her out doing her actual comedy. It's really fun. It's really good. And once again, please support the JMS podcast by donating at Patreon. All right. All right. Enough. Enough. I know Jen Gonzalez is probably listening in while she's driving somewhere and going like, what the fuck, Jorge? Really got to plug your shit in before you introduce me? Yes, I did. process of looking for a shrink know what is a great site is better help have you seen that one you can mm. like text them you can email them wow if you're like super on the go like most people are well i'm paying a shitload in, in uh in the me- medical stuff at work through my employer cool. so i'd much rather get someone through that yeah use my money do it um, i think every comedian should have a therapist yeah <laughs> in, in general i think or everybody i think self-care is pretty pretty good in general like yeah. to have that shrink I've yeah. been realizing that the past few years, how I, good self, well, like it, self-health is. Is that a word? Self-health? Self-health? <laughs> sure. Uh, no, because, I mean, this is a recent thing I'm going through. Yeah. Because I felt for the longest time, I'd just been in a very, very shitty state of mind. Yeah. Which has affected, you know. I feel like it's the election that's, like, fucked everybody up. The election, you know, could be a big part of it. But also just in general, like, I noticed, like, why aren't yeah. all my relationships working? And yeah. why, why, you know... It, do I not feel comfortable in social circles or not feel like I got to a point where I just didn't want to do anything not even stand up because I'm yeah. like just just the pressure being around other comedians made me feel insecure and I was like this is not normal you, you can't fucking do this all your life I went through that before I started doing comedy and where you just like I just want to stay home and do nothing and just exist yeah yeah <laughs> just live in your cave <laughs> And then, and for the longest time, my friends were like, you know, Hor, you you need to get you need to see a therapist. It works, man. And and well, the thing is, because you know, I think in in Latino culture, oh, yeah. usually when you see a therapist, it's implying there's something wrong with you. Yeah. And that's why it's not really, you know, a, a, at least from my perspective, a, a popular thing. Oh yeah. And I'm like, you know what? Fuck, I can't live like this. So I have to make a better change. It's like a huge like the machismo thing. It's like no, you just fix it yourself. Or right. You just like hold it in until you die. You just bottle it up. <laughs> And, and the minute you have a chance to let it out in a, in a confrontation or something, you let it out. I think there's a comedian who talks about that. He's like, you just, I think it's Christopher Titus. He's like, you just wait until it's a tumor in your neck and then they scrape it out. <laughs> That'd be nice. If, if it physically it's manifests and you can remove it. The only time your feelings come out is as a tumor. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, Jen, I'm happy you're here. I'm happy to uh, be here. F- for warning, I, I, I went to Phil's with friends. 
and I don't do well with caffeine. So I'm, I'm a little jacked up right yeah. now. Yeah. Well, that's so, why you don't want me to bring you coffee. So, yeah. I, I'm, a tea, <laughs> I'm a huge tea guy, which I got some right here to calm my nerves. Because once I get caffeine in me, it's like crack. I'm just like fucking paranoid and I'm like talking like millions of I words a minute. I was never a coffee drinker until like I started working in TV. You kind of have to be. <laughs> Long ass like, hours. Oh, yeah. I'm working 14 hours. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I sleep for like four and then I get up and do it all over again. <laughs> like, so it's like, I need caffeine. Now, Jen, I, I want to start this off with a confession. Go ahead. Is I, I. Oh, no. I don't think you know me as well as you think you know me. Why? Right, right. Because uh, for the listeners, uh, I've, let's see, I was studying. Are we really recording? <laughs> Did you get on? Yeah, yeah, we're recording. Uh, so pretty much, I remember I was studying screenwriting at De Anza. Yes. Uh, well, film specifically, but yes. screenwriting class with Rod Goldman, and you—I think you already passed the class because you just popped in. I was in. a TA probably, or what, did I pop in? You just popped in. <laughs> so you weren't even a TA. You, I was past that. Yeah, you're Damn. past that. So you you popped in to visit. Rod Goldman got excited, which I had Goldman here on this podcast before. I know I heard that one. Yeah, it was, uh, I listened to your podcast. Oh, really? You do helped you? me on many road trips. I because oh. I like drive so much in my car. <laughs> so I need things to listen to. I need content. Well, I'm happy. You're one of them. I'm happy you're tuning in. <laughs> happy you're tuning. Somebody's tuning in out there. One, I too. At in. least I know one person's out there. <laughs> no, but what I mean is, so you popped in. He got excited, and you guys are chatting and make big deal. And I was sitting in the back of the room like I always do, just you know, trying to you know just be there and stay quiet. Anyway, we we never really interacted. But I always recognized you because I knew you were in the film department. But as far as I know, that was the only time I saw you. Probably. <laughs> but you made a big impression on me. Just the way Aww. Barack Goldman, you know, reacted to you. I was like, oh, man, she must be like a, a great writer or something. That you know? touches my cold black heart. <laughs> <laughs> but you cut to years later, right? <laughs> I pop in at Woodham's and I see you sitting in the back. I'm like, no, that can't be her. <laughs> Could it be? Yeah. And that's when I approach you. I was like, hey, did Barack Goldman screenwriting? And you, your eyes went big, you got excited, and then you were, you acted as if we were, I don't know, like we knew each other back then. Because I recognized you. How? Just from the film department. Like, there wasn't many people who actually went through the whole film program. Hmm. So, I think you were one of the few that I would, like, see around and stuff. Okay. <laughs> so, so I, I felt kind of bad. It's like, I think she, she thinks that we know each other more than we really do at the time. We're best friends. I think about I, you I every think we're night. best friends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just so so that's why I, I light a candle for you every time I pray. <laughs> You're one of those people. But the thing I find you fascinating is that you in some ways you went from screenwriting film and now you're doing comedy. I mean, you're doing both, obviously. But, yes. But, like, it, it's just, I, I didn't see many people like me. who I thought I was the only, I thought I was you unique. You were the unicorn. That came from, you know, screenwriting and now I'm doing stand-up. So, like, you know, the dreams of being a screenwriter is dead and now pretty soon the dreams of being a stand-up <laughs> is dying pretty soon. I actually wasn't planning on ever doing stand-up. Like, right, people right. always told me, like, oh, you're funny, you should. And mm-hmm. I was like, no, nah, I'm a writer. Like, that's not what I want to be. I also, like, thought I had crippling stage fright. Mm-hmm. So I was like, no, I can't do stand-up. You look so comfortable on, on stage, though. I get told that. And Is that something I'm you developed? a nervous mess. <laughs> Is that something you developed as you kept doing it? Or did you feel you always, the minute, the first time you went up, it, it felt comfortable? No, I think it's just how my voice is, like the cadence of my voice. Like, like I said, I always feel like I'm like Daria because it's just my voice is so one note. Mm-hmm. And I don't like to show emotion. So I try to like 
hold that all in. Yeah. And I think that comes off as sta- like on stage as like I don't give a shit attitude. Right. But really inside, Patrick McDermott knows this because every time I see him, he's like, "Are you okay?" I was like, "No, I want to shit my pants." Uh-huh. <laughs> so like inside, I am shaking and I want to poop, but it comes off on stage as like whatever I'm comfortable. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think also I don't care what these people think, <laughs> which is probably really bad in stand-up comedy because you're doing all this for the audience. Well, I mean, ultimately the only thing you want to get out of them is laughter. Yeah. So it's, I mean, but then I just also think, well, if you don't laugh, it's not the worst thing in the world. Oh, I see. So you're indifferent. Yeah. Do you get a laugh or not? Yeah. Is that something you always had coming I in? I think or? so. I think it's because I grew up with brothers, and I'm like, anything these people have to say to me can't be worse than what they've told me uh-huh. and what I've been through. So I'm like, bring it on. Go ahead. You're the youngest of how many? I'm the youngest of three. I have two older brothers, and then there's me. So I'm the only girl and the youngest, so I really need attention. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and are they also in the performance area? No, not at all. My oldest brother works at Tesla. Like I always joke around that he like puts on the windshield wipers, and he gets really upset with me. <laughs> <laughs> what, what does he do for Tesla? I think he's like a manager, like of like the assembly line. He like oh. just got promoted. And then my other brother is a lawyer, uh-huh. so we couldn't be more different. Like, <laughs> oh, okay. Was there pressure to put on you to get into like uh, those fields? No, they were just like, as long as you don't go to jail. But then I went to jail. So then they were like, well, as long as you're alive, like, we don't care. Because they had the golden goose, which was my lawyer brother. Oh, nice. So they're like, we need to screw up one of them, I guess. What do you want to go for? <laughs> uh, I had a lot of alcohol. In my- I didn't have a lot of alcohol. I had alcohol in my system and I drove like a dummy. But mm. in my defense, I would have been fine. I was fine. I blew a .08. And they're like, you're over the limit. And I'm like, technically, I'm at the limit. And they're you're like, on the fence. that's still over the limit. And then, yeah. they, and then I started being a smart ass. Was this in San Jose? This was in Cupertino, right by, there's some shitty bar by Tianza. Which one? I can't even remember what it was called. Paul, St. Paul, Polly's? Paul and Eddie's. Paul and yeah. Eddie's. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh. I've it, slept in my car many times in that parking lot. Uh, well, let's, let's go from, let's start there then. Okay. So... You grew up here in, in the South Bay area. No, I grew up on the East Side. In the South Bay east area, side, you say San, San Jose, Jose, yeah, which is the South Bay area. Whatever. <laughs> I don't know things. I don't know directions. <laughs> and how was uh, in your? What did your parents do? My mom worked at the school I went to. She was the superintendent's assistant's assistant, if mm. that makes any sense. And then my dad worked at AT and T doing all the HVAC stuff. Okay. So. Yeah. And was there any performances going on in the house? Do, do, did you feel like the from the get-go? I mean, because you came in starting writing and film, so you have some yeah. sense of the entertainment industry. Yeah, my dad in. on the side would do commercial acting. No way. Yeah, and then he also did some theater. Ah, yeah. local theater. Did some local, like especially like San Juan Batista and stuff. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. With, oh, uh, God. What's his name? The one who did Zoot Suit. Right, right, right. God, I... I I'm awful with names. Luis Valdez. Yes. Luis so he Valdez. studied with him. Wow. Yeah, okay. So did he ingrained you in that in that you know theater performance stuff? No, it was just kind of like that's what he did on the side, and I was just like, okay, I go to this dad's performance. <laughs> you never looked forward to that. <laughs> but I know <laughs> it was just like another thing I had to go see, like because my brothers played football, so it was like I had to go all their games, and then like when it came to mine, they're like, no, we're not gonna go because mm-hmm. I played softball, and they're just like, I guess we'll go. Sometimes. Where'd you go to school? Independence? No, I went to Valley Christian. Oh, interesting. That's where my mom works, so. Oh, wow. 
I'm always interested about that school. <laughs> Me too. Don't, 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 I mean, <laughs> going through high school, the only thing I heard about is they kept stealing our good football players. Probably. Right? Because that's what they do. They get scouts. and Yeah. They got a really good football team. Mm-hmm. My brothers played a uh, left bench. So <laughs> I guess all they, they would, you know, find all these good football players to bring in. And it'd be like football players from like the 49ers kids kind of stuff like that. So right. it'd be like somewhat known people on the football team. And that was like what we were really well known for. But I believe they had a pretty good uh, arts department as well. I guess. <laughs> I don't know. I wasn't involved in anything except for the film department. Oh, they had a film department? They had a film department. How was that? Oh, I love the guy who ran it. His name was Terry McElhan, which unfortunately he passed away in 2008. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was great. He was like my best friend in high school. <laughs> uh, your teacher was your only best friend? <laughs> you know, I had friends. Like I wasn't like the most popular person, but it's also like all those people like annoyed me. Like this select few. I was like, oh, they're cool, whatever. But I enjoyed spending my time like going into the film room and just talking with him about TV and about movies and about what he did for like a living because he was a newscaster. So I'd rather like talk to him about his life than, mm-hmm. you know, talk about what party did you go to on Friday? Like who gives a shit? <laughs> you couldn't relate to the kids? Not really. Who were partying? And it was also like very, very white. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I'm half white and half Mexican. And mm-hmm. so obviously I didn't really relate to the white kids because I was like, that's not how my house is. Right. And then I grew up on the east side and it was like super Mexican there. And it was just like, I don't relate to any of you guys either. Uh-huh. So it was kind of, well, I'm just going to sit in the film room and hang out with my film teacher. <laughs> Did that kind of bring a sense of that like, you feel like an outsider a bit on both sides? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I feel the same way. Except I went to Impetus High. It was not, it's not, it wasn't in private. But I couldn't hang out with the predominantly Latino Mexican kids. Right, because I wasn't really street enough for them. Yeah, I also didn't speak Spanish, so I was like, oh, that left out in that either. And then I also, and I hanged out with the theater department a little bit. I hanged out with a lot of groups, but that was only because I couldn't really fit in anywhere. Yeah, I like knew a lot of people, and like everyone was cool with me. But I was always known as like, oh, the girl who says funny things in the back, because I was very quiet, surprisingly. Then how were you the funny girl in the back? If because I'd quiet? make, like, sarcastic comments, like, every so often. So the people, like, around, who, like, sat around me were like, oh, she's funny. So you had a sense of humor from a young oh, age. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, absolutely. Where did that come from, do you think? Uh, my grandpa introduced me to Rodney Dangerfield at a very young age, which was super inappropriate because then I'd repeat his jokes and get in trouble. <laughs> yeah. Like... <laughs> you just couldn't get respect anywhere, huh? I just... It was just one of those things. Like, there was a joke... I can't, I don't think it was Rodney Dangerfield, but like he would like introduce us to like funny things like that. There was a joke I told, I think it was in third grade and it was like a father walks into his son's room and he goes, son, you have to stop masturbating. You're going to go blind. And the son goes, dad, I'm over here. (laughs) And I remember repeating that because my grandpa thought it was so funny and then repeated it. And of course I'm in trouble. At school, they got you in trouble? Oh yeah, absolutely. They're like, you can't say, because I've gone to Christian schools my whole life. Oh. So they oh. were like, you can't say any of that. <laughs> was your family religious? Yes. Very or like just moderate? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was like, we grew, I grew up Christian. Uh, we were not to listen to secular music. We only could listen to like K-Love, which whatever, that's fine. <laughs> uh, Is that from your father's or your mother's side? Well, my dad's, like, my dad's side was Catholic for a while. <laughs> so for a while and then he went to a christian church and he really liked it and he got very involved in that and then 
my mom came from a very, very, very strict Christian home. Cause, mm-hmm. So my grandpa who would make us listen to the Rodney Dangerfield was in the Navy. Mm. And so she got sent to a foster home with her brother. And he was extremely, like, extremely Christian, like, till the day he died, which was great. Like, we needed that in our life. Right, right. <laughs> but we hated going to his house because there was, like, three channels he got, which was, like, Static, the Spanish channel, and the Christian channel. And we hated going to his house because he was like, you think it's no... How often did you visit? Uh, we tried not that often, but... <laughs> <laughs> because it was, like, one of those, our punishment, like, anytime we got in trouble, he'd be like, okay, you're going to go into the room by yourself and you're going to read the Bible. Oh, man. And we are just like, no, Mom, don't send us there. Could, could you even, like, understand the Bible at the time? When I was younger, not really. Like, you know, there's, like, the Bibles that are translated for younger kids. Mm-hmm. But still, you're like, I don't completely get it. But you go to the Sunday school and you learn all that stuff. And so. Did any of it stick with you? To oh, now, yeah. To this day? Well, I think during college, I started questioning everything and kind of doing my own thing. And it probably a couple years ago, I started getting back into it. Like, I've always believed in God and I've mm-hmm. always considered myself Christian but then I see the people who also consider it I'm like no I'm nothing like those people <laughs> right right yeah well as it should be it should be a very individual personal yeah, thing exactly yeah. okay so you go to high school you're navigating through it you're you know obviously you're not fitting in with so much yeah. but the one place you find solace is in the film department yeah which I is, loved it and um what were some things you learned there was it mostly technical stuff or was it more about story building it was mostly technical um i think also is where i started to embrace my humor because my teacher mr mcelhunt was like the only one who would embrace my very dry humor like every other teacher would get upset about it like I would take English classes <laughs> and like we had to write like short stories and I have such a weird sense of humor like to me it's funny to write like dark dark stories because mm-hmm. I'm like this is like stupid and such bullshit but I'm gonna like send it to them and I was constantly sent in for counseling <laughs> <laughs> you were the bad girl of the school essentially but like secretly though because I was like I want to write something like it was always like people who died and like committed suicide in the end so they're like I think your daughter has my pro- like has problems and my dad found it funny too yeah. he's like no she's not like she's fine like she just finds it funny yeah and so like and then I'd write, like, sarcastic type of, like, essays and stuff like that. So your parents are backing you up in some <laughs> My way. My parents, I have the best parents. They were very supportive. And it also did, like, it also gave me a little bit extra considering my mom worked there and so she knew everybody yeah she's like she's fine that's just her humor or whatever she's just around you people that's what it is <laughs> she just doesn't want to be here like i would try to get kicked out all the time oh uh, what's like the worst thing you did to try to get kicked out but like <laughs> see i was also scared of my dad so i like, <laughs> wouldn't do anything like too crazy like we had a dress code and i would constantly be out of dress code and like wear sweatpants and like you know hot topic t-shirts and i'd wear my hoops like that's when i started wearing my big old hoops Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you're a tough chick. I would try to be, but really, I had no street cred whatsoever. <laughs> I was like, I go to a Christian school. Like, I can't be hard here. So you graduated from high school. What was the game plan? I barely graduated. My, I wasn't even there for finals. I think I was on a cruise, which is great. Um, I wanted to go to NYU, mm. but my grades were terrible because I was like, I don't want to be here. Specifically for film or screenwriting? For film. For For film in general? Yeah. I didn't know I wanted to do screenwriting until I went to De Anza. So what was that choice about, you know, here you're looking for universities, Mm -hmm. but then you found the local community college. 
Well, I didn't get accepted to any of the schools that I picked. Oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. <laughs> no, it's fine. Um, it's, I'm not too sorry. I got to meet you. Yeah. 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 No, I, I'm really glad it happened. So then it was also my brother was going to like, you know, Santa Clara University. Like he was the one my parents were like, look, he's going to college and you guys have to figure it out. <laughs> like they picked the one, you know, bit on the wedding horse. Like, right, right. Bet on the wedding horse. So... Um, so he went to college and he went to law school and all this stuff. And so my parents were like, look, can you hold off by going to community college for a couple of years? And I was like, I'm going to go there for four. So I was at De Anza for four years. Shit, I was there for five, six. I don't know. I went to De Anza for four and then I went to Columbia College in Chicago for another year and a half. All right. So you go to De Anza. How was the experience going in? At first, it was, like, rough because I took a screenwriting class with Dave Barney. Did you ever take his class? No. So I took this was before Barack, to visualize how before it looks like. Barack became one of the screenwriter or screenwriting teachers. Right. So it was just Dave, and I remember taking Dave's class, and like he hated me. <laughs> oh. <laughs> just every time I would like submit a script, it just kind of like looked like he bled on it. Just all like just all this red marks. Like this is wrong. This is wrong. This is wrong. And I'll never forget in our final. We had to do like a 10 page whatever and I remember we had to pitch the movie and <laughs> and I remember pitching my movie which was a terrible idea in the first place first of all you I don't know even what the idea was I don't even I'm sure yeah. it was some shitty rom-com that I was coming up with that was just terrible mm-hmm. and so he was just like that's not a movie and then he just moved on oh. <laughs> I was just like oh, okay so when it came to the final and I was writing the 10 pages he was like have you considered doing anything else <gasps> Are you fucking serious? <laughs> yeah. Apparently, I'm not the only person he said that to. There's a couple other people that I've met. They're like, oh, yeah, they told me to find a new career. Wow. <laughs> so I was like, okay. So I was, yeah. So maybe like another year, year and a half was when I took Barack's class. Because I was like, no, I hate screenwriting. It's the worst. I never want to do it again. Because mm-hmm. I was just going to be a writer. I was also, I wanted to be a novel writer. <laughs> mm. Now, what did this, you know, notion of being a writer came from? I just have always liked it. Like, ever since I was little, I would come up with skits or puppet shows or whatever. I mean, my many cousins would do performances for my family. Mm-hmm. And then I would always, like, write short stories and write really bad poetry. <laughs> like I've been there. Was... I, I had a face. <laughs> I, I think I have notebooks somewhere, and I hope nobody ever finds them. <laughs> like, they're just so bad. Just like, my other... teenage angst. <laughs> just the other day, I... I... I, I found a notebook I did when I did poetry in high school and I was like God oh my god so bad how did people even let me continue living but after, it'd be like <laughs> after doing those things I remember finding it like a couple years ago and I was like oh my god I was like I would like write about like heartbreak I was like shut up what do you even <laughs> know about heartbreak you stupid kid like <laughs> I was like where did I get all this from I'm like nine years old talking about like losing the love of my life I'm like shut <laughs> up <laughs> oh man <laughs> What do you know? And oh, who are the novelists you were looking up to? Uh, I don't know. Honestly, because <laughs> I remember in high school, I would ditch class to go to the library to work on my novel. Wow. Okay. At least you, yeah. at least you skipped out for doing something productive. <laughs> I just didn't want to go to class. Like if I wasn't in the like film room, I was in the library working yeah. on my novel. Like the librarians would come like, hi, Jen. Like, oh, you have a free period? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> Sure. They didn't care. How far did you get with your novel? 
I don't know. It's on a floppy disk, so can I like throw back and age myself? I had a floppy disk. disk. <laughs> I, rem- I remember floppy disks. <laughs> oh god, I don't remember what. I honestly don't even remember what it was about. Hmm. I think I got pretty far on it though. I also hope nobody ever finds that. Do you know what that was about? I'm sure teenage love angst. I'm seeing a theme here. There's a lot of love involved here. Love and heartbreak. (laughs) But it's just like, I've never been, like I, at that point, I had never been through like any of that though. Mm -hmm. Which I was like, I'm just going off what I've seen in movies and all this other stuff. Oh really? So you didn't have any relationships during high school? No. Like, mm. I did it, just everybody, I hated everybody. <laughs> I hear like you. Everyone, there was, like, a handful of people that I, like, was cool with and I'm still friends with. But I'm just, like, other than that, I'm like, these people are awful. Are you still friends with high school people? I'm friends with, like, maybe three. One of them is Noah Gain. <laughs> you guys went to the we same high school? We went to high school together. Oh, we took a film class together. Shit. I know. Wow. I don't know if I should say that because it seems like people aren't really a fan of him. Uh, <laughs> everybody oh, has their reasons. I, I like Noah. Well, he's he's been nice to me, except for once he tried hitting my sister Ooh. in a creepy way. But he, he knows he knows. You know, yeah. But anyway, um, <laughs> yeah, that just blew my mind. So okay, I went to high school with Noah. The, the reason why I ask is because I don't. I'm no longer friends with anybody from my high school. Yeah, and I'm not sure what that says about me. No, it's that's normal. Is it? Yeah. Because I see, I see a lot of people my age who still hang out with people from their high school. And I'm like, I, I, was I a shitty person in high school? I don't know. <laughs> no, I think that's just like normal. It's like, oh, we've grown apart and mm. you guys moved to different paths. And, you know, life changes. So you're a Deanza. You work on your novel, writing, screenwriting. <laughs> what, 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 what was the game changer for you? Uh, I So I started taking like act like the theater classes there because I was like I'm going to be an actress I'm going to be like my dad and be an actress making dad proud I mean it's funny though because I was like dad I'm going to go into acting he's like you should be a director because I think he wanted me to cast him and stuff oh (laughs) smart smart but it was always it was like anytime I was like dad I'm going to do this he like always wanted something bigger so but I was like dad I don't want to direct I have zero desire to direct anything and he's like well you should be really good at it (laughs) you just want me to put you in things Mm. (laughs) Um, so you, you were very faithful to the to the letters, the words on page. Oh yeah. Okay. I'm just saying. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I just I was just like, no, I'm a writer. I'm a writer. Yeah. yeah. And even when I would take like take the acting classes, I was like, okay, no, I'm still a writer. I'm still a writer. Mm-hmm. And then I took the acting classes and realized I was terrible at it. <laughs> so then. A friend of mine in one of those classes, like, you should take screenwriting. And I was like, no, I've done that. It's awful. And then uh, they were like, no, you should take it with Barack. And I was like, all right, let's try it out, whatever. And uh, I remember the first day with him, I cried and I never wanted to go back. I think I cried my first day with him, too. But he like, I mean, I didn't cry, like, in the room. I cried when I got home because I was like, this sucks. I don't know what I'm doing. Like, forget it. I hate screenwriting. It's the worst. I cried on the drive home. (laughs) But, But I think it was good. Yeah. Because I don't know about you, but my experience, my experience with Barack Goldman, uh, which at the time, I think he was going through some personal stuff, and he, he would just scathingly just go through people's scripts. Oh, yeah. And and, and dictate. And it's, it wasn't like he was wrong. He was right. Oh, absolutely. It's just the way he did it. And it really hammered into my, my brain of like, get your shit together when you're writing for him. And, and that kind of propelled me to try even harder. So it wasn't exactly all bad. Yeah. No, it just reminds me of, do you ever watch Wish? whiplash did you watch that yes. movie it yes. just reminds me of that like they're being tough on you because yes. that 
you know, what does he say? There's nothing worse to tell someone than good job. Right. Which 100% is kind of how I've been, like, Uh too. It's like, no, give it to me straight. Tell me everything. Don't be like, oh, yeah, it's good, whatever. Like, no, whip me into freaking shape. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of how he was my first day. And I was like, okay. And, like, same thing. Like, I'm going to come back. And I practiced. And, like, you know, I started doing working harder with my screenwriting and I've been doing whatever and it's been working. And then so you became far. a TA. How was that dynamic becoming <laughs> a TA and kind of like helping other students? I liked it because then when I started like doing screenwriting, I was like, well, maybe I should be an English major and become an English teacher. <laughs> I want to do a lot of things. Like, I think that's why I always stuck with writing though, because when you're doing that, you can become the characters and become whatever it is that you're making them do. Mm-hmm. And so... But I was like, oh, I'm going to be an English teacher because I think I'd be a great teacher. And then I realized I hated everybody. So then I was just like, <laughs> there's that. But I really liked yeah. being a TA. I liked having the knowledge and then sharing that knowledge with people who kind of don't really get it. Uh-huh. And also you get to like meet a ton of people. Uh-huh. I don't know. I find people interesting. Like as much as I hate them, I find them so interesting. I mean, looking at the TAs when I was going through his class, I, I felt kind of bad for them because there's some students who just didn't get it. Yeah, and I was like, I, <laughs> yes. I, I wonder how these TAs deal with these with these people. How did you deal with someone who just didn't get the idea of like log lines, or just the idea of like uh, you know sh- show don't tell kind of stuff? I mean, there's like the ones who just don't get it because they don't want to, because they're like, no, my way is the right way, and da da da. I wrote a book about, and you're like, no, you're wrong. And it was, I remember there was this one guy who he was like hey can you read my log line and tell me what's like wrong i'm like yeah sure so i read it and i was like okay well here's what you need to fix and he was just constantly defensive and so i finally like pushed the paper towards him and i was like look if you don't want my help don't ask for it Mm. and so i think it was also harder like as a female too right and also as a younger female and then you had the older men who right were in the class had a very difficult time like listening to this tiny you know, small Mexican girl. Mm. <laughs> I think that was another hurdle I had to go through. Mm. But I think, yeah, it was just like telling people like, look, I'm still learning too, but I also know what the fuck I'm talking about. Mm. So I think it was just having confidence in what I was doing. Mm. Did you feel that help you build up confidence? Oh, yeah. Okay. So from there you get, you transfer out. I transferred to Columbia College in Chicago. How was that change? I love it. I miss it there all the time. Well, I originally, so the summer after I finished my fourth year um, at De Anza, I went to Chicago to visit friends of mine, but also take classes at Second City there because I really wanted to start with sketch comedy because I was like, okay, like I'm realizing that I'm funny and I should do comedy writing. So I was like, well, let's see what sketch writing is. And I was like, what's the best? what's the best place for sketch comedy second city right it's like tina like tina fey was like my idol like i want to be tina fey Mm -hmm. so i took classes there and then i was like oh my gosh i love this city it's just a it's a great city no culture shock just i mean it was it was in a sense i was like oh my god it's so flat here like there's no hills like uh it's very more city life than i was used to Mm mm-hmm but, and, like, people were somewhat nicer. <laughs> I think that mm. was hard to get used to. It was like, oh, people are actually helpful here. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Like, when you say, hey, excuse me, how do I get here? They actually give you legit directions, not like, fuck you, get out of here. Mm-hmm. 
So that was, so I just, I fell in love with the city. Like it was just great. And so I was like, all right, I'm going to do my best to get into college over here. And what did you win it for? So I went to Columbia College for, um, I got my degree, kind of got my degree in film and video. Uh I found out I'm one class short from technically graduating, but I've already walked the stage. Oh, fuck it. So I was like, forget it. I don't want to spend any more money at this place. Now, were there any similarities or differences you discovered from what you learned at De Anza when it came to film screenwriting and then going to Columbia? Yeah, there was a lot of like when it came to screenwriting a lot of the core stuff that Barack taught us was fantastic I loved it it was like the bare bones and then I had another screenwriting teacher who was still very much in the business and so he was kind of like guys things are changing he's like I know you know we're supposed to stick to this he's like as your first scripts you're supposed to stick to your structure stick to this he's like until you become better Mm -hmm. then you can start like tweaking with story and tweaking with like you know being different and being like Tarantino with his blocks of dialogue or being you know very just you know flowery with your right script right so that was like kind of weird to get used to I was like no but my teacher told me we're not supposed to do any of that so it was it was different in that sense but I mean I'm also going to go with the guy who's currently in the business Mm -hmm. making movies with big stars so I was like all right I guess hmm did you get? Did you have any chance to uh, to create any films in the process or anything like that? I made a couple short films. They weren't any good. <laughs> it was just for a class, but I'm not really like the one like oh I'm gonna direct my own thing. Like like I said, I have zero desire to direct. I don't have that eye. I don't have hmm. you know the desire to. So it sounds to me like you were actually kind of headed towards TV. Yeah. Where kind of the writers ranking and and there's a lot of you know. I've come sketch to, comedy kind of stuff because I come to fat like as I was doing screenwriting like as much as I love it it was more of I was loving the characters I was creating rather than the script that I was making mm. so I was like well I want to stick with these characters I don't want to stick with the script anymore because <laughs> obviously when it comes to like feature films you're working on that for you know two three years just to get one solid draft done right you know what I mean right and then with TV I don't know you get to like create new worlds for your character there's more flexibility with TV yeah. I, I felt and I started liking that more and more and it wasn't until like the end when I was like graduating that I realized that that was a challenge I had because I, I, I did a, a failed web series called Looking for St. Jorge <laughs> and I tried to apply as much as I learned as far as TV stuff and it, it was a little change at the same time a little liberating yeah a little bit where you'd be, you'd be oh I don't have to do all this in one episode mm-hmm. I could just you know do chunks of it and spread them out and and stuff and 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 write more about the character and not worry about the plot as much yeah and i think that's what i liked is you had if you're doing you know like tv where the whole season is just one giant story Mm -hmm. you have so much more room with that or you can do like the simpsons kind of route where it's just like a new thing every single episode like the more sitcom-y type of style which that's what I like. I'm like, okay, I'm bored with this. On to the next one. <laughs> Were you doing sketch comedy on the side as well? I was writing sketch comedy. I found a comedy group and uh, I would write for them. How was that experience like? I loved it. Like, I hate being on camera. I think that's why I didn't want to do stand-up for the longest time is I don't want to be up front mm-hmm. like, doing, doing whatever. I'd so much rather be in the background writing things out. Mm-hmm. So I loved it. I thought it was great. I... 
I don't know. I would love to get back into it. What happened? You graduated uh, and never went back, went back to I it? never went back to Sketch, no. It was like, no, okay, well, then if I'm going to do this, might as well, like, work in TV. Okay. So, or, you know, work on SNL or whatever. <laughs> so you, you graduate from Columbia. What was the game plan there? And then I got a job working at Disneyland. <laughs> wow, what were you doing in, in Disneyland? I worked on Main Street. I, uh was basically like working at the ice cream place i worked at the bakery like (laughs) so there's a thing that they have it's the college program which i thought if i completed that college program because you get college credit for it Mm. that that would complete my final course at columbia and then later on i found out it didn't so i was like well that sucks but so basically you live in these apartments like it's basically like a dorm that you live in this dorm with all these people who also work at Disneyland and you take a class with Disney. And it's basically just like, here's why Walt Disney is the greatest person ever walk this earth. It's like a little cult. You have no idea. Like we did orientation and like Mickey Mouse came out at the very end of orientation and people were in tears, like crying, like sobbing hysterically. And I was like, oh my God, where the hell am I? Like... It blew my mind. Because like, I love Disneyland. I'm always right. at Disneyland. But holy shit. Like, these people were, like, sobbing. Some people... Disneyland's like a so, pilgrimage. Like, seriously. once a year. I mean, I'm always there. Like, I'm one of those people. Like, I have my season pass. And I'm constantly... But I would never cry over an Asian girl in a mouse costume. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it just, so, like, blows so, my mind. And so, how was it, you know, being in the cult of Disney and just working there and... And dealing it was, with the people. It was interesting to see the behind the scenes that goes on. Mm-hmm. Like, it was, I don't know. It's a whole nother experience. Like, going there and then working there is completely different. Like, everyone's fine. I loved all my coworkers. They were funny. Like, that in itself was like a TV show. Mm-hmm. And then, like, just holidays were the worst. People are real pieces of shit. <laughs> like, when, when they walk through those gates, like, you are their servants. Yeah. And it's like, I'm here to have a good time, and you're going to make me and my family have the best time ever, and you're going to do everything we say. And wow. I'm just... There's there's some people who are very nice and, like, understand that, like, you have to deal with a lot of shitty people. Mm-hmm. But then there's the ones who are like, I want this, and I want this, and I want it now. Otherwise, I'm calling Mickey Mouse himself. <laughs> and you're just like, okay. <laughs> but it seems like, for the most part, you enjoyed your time there. Yeah, because, like, one of... Like, just... I don't know. Like... As much as it sucks to, like, be around all those disgusting children, just because... I was constantly sick because I was dealing with all these, like, germ-ridden children. Now, considering someone who <laughs> hates everybody, why Disney? Where I you literally Disney. meet everybody. <laughs> I love Disney. I think it's so much fun. I just... Did you it grow was up just, on Disney? Oh, yeah. Okay. Like, that was... Who's your favorite princess? I liked... Well, I like the queen from Snow White. She's not a princess, but she's a queen. Snow White. Okay. Snow White. The queen. She was great. Her outfit was amazing. Just Snow like, White is with the uh, gnomes? With the, with the, with the dwarves. The yeah. dwarves? <laughs> yeah. There's a queen there? Yeah. The, the queen who turns into the, like, disgusting old witch who gives her the apple. Oh, the evil. Yeah. The <laughs> evil queen. The evil queen. Is my favorite. Why? Because she has the best lines and the best outfit. Ah. Uh-huh. Okay. I don't know. And she also wasn't, like, one of those, like, oh, my God, I'm so helpless. I need a guy to, like, save me. 
she was just like, look, this I'm, little I'm trick taking... is trying to take over, so I'm going to kill her. <laughs> you, you, you responded to the vengeful, <laughs> I, revenge-driven yeah. character. I, I associated more with the evil queen than yeah. I ever did any of the Disney princesses. But I do like Beauty and the Beast. I really like that. Okay, the, the whole Stockholm Syndrome yeah. is what you respond to? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so you're working at Disney. What do you feel is the... What do you think you learned from that experience? Oh, gosh. That I could put up with a lot of shit. Mm. <laughs> I never realized how I patient I was I until... Bet. But it was also, like, my plan was, like, I'm going to go work at Disney. And then from there, I can move up into the Disney, um, like, animation studio. Or I can move into, like, the studio itself. Because mm. a lot of people actually do that. Like, Really? Okay. Yeah. They work, very, they work at the amusement park and they go up from there? They can move up, yeah. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, it's very interesting. I mean, it takes a while to get there. And you also have to know the right people. Mm. But it's definitely very doable. Because that's what happened to a friend of mine. She worked, you know, in the park, and then she moved up into one of the Disney Channel shows. And I was like, I could do that. I could do that. And then I just never did because I was like, oh, I don't want to work here. That's very strict. What was the final straw for you to get out of that place? Uh, I don't know. I don't think I had one. I think it was just like, I don't want to be here anymore. Like, because <laughs> like the program ended, and they're like, you can stay on or you can leave. And I was like, I think I want to go pursue other things now from there you made the move from chicago to la so i moved from chicago to anaheim and then i moved back up here and uh were you doing anything on the side i figure everybody's doing something on the side in la i mean i kind of was i was like i don't know writing my sketches and whatever like i journal every day so that kind of keeps me sane and like constantly keeps me writing Mm -hmm. um but i wasn't doing anything crazy i moved back up here and then i um I always kept in contact with friends of mine who were in the film program at De Anza, so I'd constantly send them stuff mm-hmm. to like, hey, you can film this short film or this little sketch or whatever. So when I came back up, I was working on that with those people. Okay, awesome. So yeah. you moved back here. Now, comedy. <laughs> you, comedy. You, you told me several times, well, how'd you get into comedy? But for those who don't know, uh, kind of talk about how you got into comedy and, <laughs> and stuff. So I was always like a comedy writer, but I started dating a comedian who All was right. in the scene. And so I would constantly go with him to like open mics and I would go to his shows. And Can I ask how you met him? I find that interesting. I met him. Every time a comedian hooks up with somebody, I was like, <laughs> how? I met I've him. I've been trying ever t- since I started stand up <laughs> and to this day. It never happened. <laughs> I met him at a party of a mutual friend of ours. So, it was okay. his birthday. So it wasn't at a performance. No. That's the trick. You have to get invited to parties. <laughs> Yeah, get invited to parties. (laughs) Yeah, so it was a friend of ours' birthday, and I had a boyfriend at the time. And so we met, and I was like, oh, he's cool, whatever. And we always, like, kept in contact, but whatever. And then I broke with my boyfriend, and he immediately was like, so when are we hanging out? Ah. (laughs) I was like, yeah, sure, whatever. So I dated a comedian, and I'd go to him with him all his shows. And then I also knew Noah. I would go to Noah's shows, Mm -hmm. um, because he would always do, like, stuff right by my house. And then... Uh, let's see. And then I was like, then what happened? And I broke up with the comedian, but we stayed friends. We're still really good friends to this day. And, uh, I went through a very rough year, just like in every aspect, like with my job, with relationships. Yeah. Sorry. That's okay. <laughs> I was like, is that okay? Yeah. With my job, with relationships, with friendships, just like everything. Just, it was a very dark place in my life. Mm. And so that's what we were talking about where you're just like, 
I am just living to exist kind of thing because you're in such a depression or just like in such a funk that you're like I don't want to leave my house I don't want to do anything so then like one day I was just like I really just want to laugh like I need to start laughing again Mm -hmm. and so I went to uh the comedian I used to date we were still friends and like hey do you have any shows coming up because I really just want to laugh at stuff and then he's like why haven't you done comedy I was like I should so I wrote like a three minute thing and I think it was a Wednesday. We were supposed to go to Caravan that night. Mm-hmm. And I ended up going... He had a show before at Tommy T's. And so I was like, oh, well, I'll go to your show. And then we can go do my thing at Caravan. And so I get to Tommy T's. I feel like that's such a long story for a question you asked. <laughs> I don't mind. So we get to Tommy T's. And Mitch Campbell was running a show. And he was right. like, hey, one of the people didn't show up. And then the guy I used to date, the comedian I used to date, was like, well, Jen really wants to try out comedy. You should have her do it. And he was like, awesome. Do you want to go up? I was like, not really. And he's like, it's fine. You can do five minutes. And I was like, I'm going to do three. <laughs> so I did my three minutes and it went okay. Mm-hmm. And I've been doing it ever since. Got the bug on the first performance? I enjoyed it. And then I did another performance and it went terribly. So I was like, all what, right. What was this at? So then my second one was at the brainwash, mm. but I showed up an hour early, <laughs> like a total nerd, because I thought it started sooner. And then I saw everyone signing up and I got so intimidated. I was like, no, forget it. I'm just going to sit here and read. And then I met Charlie Spink that night and he was like, why are you sitting here reading? He's like, aren't you a comedian? And I was like, no, I was like, I've only done it once. And he's like, well, sign up and do it. And I was like, okay, you're right. I should. And so... I signed up so I was like the last one to go so there was like four people that I performed in front of and like I got like a little haha like here and there and I was like this sucks I hate comedy I never want to do it again but of course I kept doing it because I was like well what do you feel compels you to keep doing it I think I just enjoy that like high you get from being on stage like I don't know I just think of Ready? Like, Sister Act 2 is my favorite movie. And there's a scene in the movie where Whoopi Goldberg is talking to Lauren Hill. And she's talking about that book, uh, Letters to a Young Poet. And she's like, if all you can think about is, like, writing, then you are a writer. So you should write. And she says to Lauren Hill, if all you can think about is singing, then you're a singer. And you should keep singing. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of how I felt is, like, all I can think about is comedy. Like, when I'm walking down the street, I'm thinking of bits. Like, oh, that's going to be funny. Like, I can make that funny on stage or I can make that like just things and jokes are constantly running through my head and I'm like mm. I need to say this on stage. Do you still consider yourself a writer? I consider myself a writer comedian. I feel like if you get paid to do something you are. Oh interesting. <laughs> so once money gets involved. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah get paid to do because I've been paid to write stuff so I'm like yeah absolutely I'm writer comedian. Then I'm literally nothing. Because <laughs> 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 well, I had trouble for the longest time, especially after graduating. It's like, you know, you know, how do I really define myself? Because, I, you know, I do get involved with different, you know, creative stuff. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, I decided that at its core, I am a writer. Even though, even though I'm doing stand-up. I feel like most comedians though, are. Yeah, definitely. And it, it's just, you know, I, I find a little cringe something when I'm, I get introduced as a comedian. I kind of get like imposter syndrome sometimes. Yeah. I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Don't know about that. I'm just a writer. But it's like you can't. I don't know. It's hard, it's hard to define yourself once you're, once you're in it. I think it's also how people know you. Mm. Like if I hadn't seen you do comedy, I would go, oh yeah, the filmmaker guy, Jorge. Like that's how I would still see you. So I think people identify with 
you know, where they've met you and how they know you. How long have you been doing comedy now? August 17th will be two whole years. Do you feel like you've evolved already within those two years? Oh, yeah, definitely. How do you feel you best changed? I think when I first started, it was like... (laughs) It was, like, dumb stuff, and I feel like now I've been more personal with, like, myself, like, poking fun at myself and, like, my upbringing and growing up, and, like, I've realized the stories about my family people really respond to, because mm. at first I was like, no, I don't want to talk about that, I don't want people knowing any of that stuff, but I think people relate to it more, which find people find funnier. Yeah. And so I think in that sense I've evolved. But do you feel comfortable talking about those things still? Oh, Yeah. I'm reaching, I'm like four years in, and I'm just I'm just hitting that. I'm, yeah. s- I'm starting to open up and talk about my family now. Before, I, I used to fight it. Yeah. I think, I don't know, I just think, especially nowadays, because families are so different. And so, you know, as like a Latino person, <laughs> like people, I don't know, like who doesn't speak Spanish or who doesn't, like, or who grew up completely different from the way, like, our parents grew up. Mm-hmm. I think that's so much more common. And so when you could joke about that, same with, like, myself. Like, I consider myself biracial because I'm half white, half Mexican. And so I talk about, like, not fitting in and talking about my family and how completely different it is. And I feel like people are understanding that more because it's such a more common thing. Mm-hmm. So I think it's just embracing your difference. Your differences. <laughs> Is that a word? Well, I'm a some writer, way, I some, promise. In some ways, you're, you're <laughs> embracing yourself and your background. Yeah. Because I think it's just because, like I said, people are changing. Families are changing. Mm-hmm. And especially with, like, biracial families, that's become a huge thing now. And no one ever really talks about it. Not many biracial, I guess. There's not many biracial comedians. No, not really, huh? Yeah. Now, you, since I've met you doing comedy, you kind of hit the floor running. I mean, you're, you're performing in a lot of great places. Trying to. <laughs> Traveling and doing comedy, how's that How's that like? So I'm kind of cheating because I've been applying for jobs because I do freelance production work. And so I apply to jobs in different states that way. And I also apply to jobs in different states where I have friends who live there. Mm, that's so, smart. Yeah. <laughs> so I live with, you know, I stay with them and then I go to these jobs so I can get money because obviously, you know, driving everywhere isn't cheap. And then I also hit up, you know, different comedy groups or whatever. I'm like, hey, anyone got stage time for me? And so I kind of create a mini tour in that sense. It's like, I feel like I'm cheating. <laughs> What I really like about your work ethic is how you you still stay within the frameworks of, of stuff you're passionate about. You're still working in entertainment film stuff or, or TV stuff. Oh, yeah. And then still doing comedy. And, that, and that can be a hard balance sometimes. Well, so I used to work at Google for a while. And I remember... What were you doing at Google? I was a content analyst. That's all I can speak about because I had to sign a very large NDA. Mm. You went from one cult to another. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Belonged to all the cults. Yeah. But I worked at Google and I loved it. It was great. But my project ended and then I got sent to this other project, which was horrible and I hated. And I remember having a panic attack in the um, parking lot just because I was like, I don't belong here. I shouldn't be sitting at a desk all day. And so then I was like, okay. Then I started applying to different freelance jobs. And I was like, I want to use my freaking degree. Like, I need to be creating. Like, I just have to constantly be creating. I can't be sitting, whatever. And so from there, it just kind of kept going. Just kind of hasn't stopped. 
Now, when you get these contract jobs, is it it's not PA work, is it? Or is it's it PA it's work? PA work. PA work. I did a lot of script supervising as well, which I love doing. Really? Yeah. What is it about script? Because I, I meet people who <laughs> love doing it, and I can never really get why. Like I, I get it that you're in the production, but something about script, uh, script supervising people get really passionate about. I love it because I'm one of those people when I watch movies, I'm like, that's out of place. That's out of place. There's a shadow there. Like, oh, just, that's just how I've always been when I watch movies. I just like the continuity. Like, I've always been a very observant person. Like, I think that's why. I've enjoyed writing so much because it's just observing people and then you write about it. Mm-hmm. And so I'd be just constantly looking in the background of movies. <laughs> and so you get to be that person like, hey, that cup shouldn't be there. Or hey, like that line was incorrect. Or hey, blah, blah. I just, I love it. Do you, is there times you have to step in during a production and be like, hey, the uh, the lines are no, not the same? No, all the time. All the time? Oh yeah, that's your whole job is to make sure you're not screwing it up. So that's why so many directors say, like, stay with the same script supervisors because they trust those people. Uh, yeah, that's important. And you also yeah. have to have that communication, like, hey, this is all screwed up, and be able to say that to them. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I know Tarantino's has, like, stuck with the same person forever. Well, I, I can totally understand because once you work with them, you trust them, and, and you oh, much yeah. rather have someone you trust than someone who doesn't. Oh, yeah. In general, I guess, in life. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now... F- who are some of your people you were looking up to throughout your whole creative journey so far? You mentioned Tina Fey. I was a big Tina Fey fan. Uh, Lucille Ball is a huge influence for oh, me. I'm such an, with the classics. I'm such an old soul. Like, I don't know, things I find funny. I like people who are timeless, I've realized. Because, oh. like, there's, like, comedians. I'm like, oh, they're funny, whatever. They're legends. But there's only so few people who are timeless. Like, if you look at the roast of, like, Dean Martin or whatever, you'll see, like, those jokes still hold up. Like, mm. a lot of those jokes still hold up. That makes them timeless. Like, if you look at, um, I don't like, Three Stooges. Three Stooges still holds up to this day. I showed it to my niece, and she thought it was the funniest thing. Mm-hmm. Like, it's it's timeless comedy. So I think I like those kind of thing. Like, I don't know. I like Elaine May a lot. Not many people know who that is. She was the person who wrote The Birdcage. Okay. She also was the one who teamed up with Mike Nichols for Nichols and May. Mm. Not many people know them. You should look them up. They're great. Jesus Christ. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I'll write it down in my notes. Elaine May. Elaine Nichols May. And May. God. I liked uh, like Laurel and Hardy. I used to always watch like those like videos, like with the piano and the... mm-hmm. that's rolling. They're trying to get the piano up the staircase. Like I find those things funny. So like more screwball comedies. Yeah, more, more like screwball, but like I said, it's like timeless comedy. Like it still holds up to this day. Like I don't know. I I think that's why I try to stay like stray from like pop culture references and like you know just constant dick jokes and whatever and being raunchy mm-hmm. because I want to be timeless. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I get it. I get it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, watch it like. Watching those classic, you know, screwball comedies from the 40s and 50s. I love them. They're still funny. I I think, yeah, and I I don't know. I I don't know if that's an art in writing that's that's gone not as prevalent in our current uh, entertainment culture. Because if you look at it, no, never mind. The the Office is pretty timeless. Yeah. Like, Like, I'm trying to think of shows contemporarily. Yeah. I think nowadays it's who can be the most shocking and who could be the most, um, 
like we did it first like you know kind of with modern family like they had the first like gay couple like adopting mm-hmm. i'm not sure if that's correct but sure why not we'll no they, they adopted yeah but they're like one of the first shows to like introduce that mm-hmm. and just how like mixed kind of for the most part <laughs> their show is i don't know I don't now, know where I was going with that. <laughs> well, you, you mentioned in your comedy you stay away from raunchy, edgy stuff. I mean, I do raunchy. Like, I still have those jokes, obviously. But I've been just noticing more that I want to, like, not as much just have that be, like, prevalent is, like, the raunchy stuff. I want more so, like, me, myself. Like, I still swear a lot. Like, I can't help it. Hmm. <laughs> is there any contemporary stand-ups that you kind of look up to? Um, I'm such a big like bill burr fan i love him he's my all-time favorite yeah Yeah. um who else there's another one his name is chad daniels i find him very funny uh who else there's another comedian her name is morgan murphy oh yeah i know her i love her i think it's because she's very monotone too very like monotone sarcastic comedian i was like i relate to that so much Yeah, yeah i think she's hilarious um i recently finally because everyone's like you should watch her ali wong Mm-hmm. I finally like listened to her stuff. She's funny. She's raunchy, but you know, whatever. Good for her. She's doing something right. Do you feel the whole thing with raunchiness is, is it just overplayed, or do you feel like I just Cause think I... a lot is so unoriginal. I think it's not because it's smart comedy. I mm-hmm. think it's because they know they're gonna get a laugh. I think it's cheap. Hmm. Well, I, I definitely you know do notice that a lot of early uh, performer comedy performers kind of teeter towards mm-hmm. that side yeah and it takes years to redevelop your own voice yeah uh and uh it's it just interesting that you have the self-awareness and the and the smarts to kind of catch on to that well i've always liked comedy i've always watched stand-up i've always watched like comedy movies like my dad would always play the three stooges for us and things like that but also just I loved comedy and so then I would like kind of study it in a way mm-hmm. so I think that's so important especially as comedians is to study your craft yeah I never understood how some co- comedians locally would say they don't watch specials because they don't want to you know steal jokes or whatever accidentally I thought it's bullshit that, you, it's like saying a filmmaker shouldn't watch other films right it's it, like I feel like if you're truly passionate you should study your craft like right. stu- even if you're not watching comedy specials like you should be studying comedy itself mm-hmm that makes any sense no that makes perfect sense (laughs) yeah yeah definitely i don't know how how did your parents take the news that you're doing stand-up now they said about time like they so everybody (laughs) saw it coming everyone always told me i should just because i was constantly like the sarcastic funny like sister Mm -hmm. and just whatever like i but i was like no i'm a writer like i'm not a comedian i'm a writer see that, that was the shit i was going through yeah and then finally i gave in and i'm like oh i'm actually decent at this (laughs) hmm no, I think you're great. You, Thank you. Definitely great work ethic, and you're, you're getting yourself out there. I'm tired of being poor, so that's why I work so hard. <laughs> Maybe you're in the wrong line of work trying not to be poor. I know, and I'm like in everything, like artsy. Like I work in film and TV, and then yeah. I want to do comedy. I'm like, I'm going to be poor forever. And then I date mostly artists, so I was like, I'm never going to have money. <laughs> hmm. No, it's all good. I just enjoy doing it. It was just... I was talking to my dad about this because I was working at a recording studio and like it was great whatever but I was like it's not what I want to be doing and he's like honestly your happiness is way more important than any of this I'm like, all right yeah 
So then I quit my job and started doing freelance. <laughs> and I'm like, oh shit, I have bills to pay still. Well, another thing on that on that thread is that even within the circles of whatever you're doing, you should also be aware of your happiness. Oh yeah. And w- w- what I mean by that is like it's one thing you're doing what makes you happy, but it's another thing is, is sometimes getting lost in what you're doing. And not mm. feeling happy. I mean, there, there was a good point where I was not happy doing comedy. Oh, yeah. And that was only because I was trying, I was too insecure and I was trying too hard to appeal to my peers. Yeah, you focus too much on, like, what other people are thinking, what other people are doing. And I think, Do like, they think I'm a hack? Is this joke hacky? Yeah. Do you think it's funny? Oh, they're booking everybody but not me. Oh, yeah. what the fuck? Is it me? Is it them? Is it whatever? And it just goes through this vicious cycle. Oh, yeah. And, and it comes to it's like, you know what? I'm just going to go my pace. You know, I'm, I'm, you know, do the best I can my way. And, and I think once you kind of come up with that, it makes things so much easier and more relaxed. Is yeah. it just me or do you? No, it's just, I think I was listening to an interview with Jerry Seinfeld. He's like, who kind of like, the gist was like, don't give a shit because you're performing for the audience. This is all for the audience. Mm-hmm. And if you're making them laugh, you know, who cares? But the thing is that you, like, that stuff becomes more relevant <laughs> as you get older, as you keep doing it. Yeah. There's a good point in the beginning, in the in, in like like the early years, where you're just because it's still new, and you're still mm-hmm. learning, and you're still insecure. Oh yeah. That you can you can kind of get lost in it. I feel like that's everything though. It's like you're the new kid in school. Mm. Kind of deal. Jen, it's been great talking to you. <gasps> is it over already? Yeah. I you. talk too much. No, come on. <laughs> It's all good. It's perfect. It's perfect, Jen. Also, I want all of this strike from the record. (laughs) Just kidding. kidding. Where can people catch you usually? Um, when does this air? Probably in a week or two. Two weeks maybe. Maybe never. I I don't know. I have all these shows this week. Met cops tonight. There's the Disney Vault, and then there's the Gemma's Podcast Vault. So I don't know. I might keep this. Can I be part of the Diamond Collection? Diamond Collection. I'm going to put out 20 years later on Um, an anniversary. Okay, so if this isn't for another week or so, I'm going to be in Kansas. I'm going to be Wichita, Kansas, July 21st for the Lady Laughs Comedy Festival. I've never been. I'm very excited. Mm-hmm. And then the 28th, I'm going to be at Super Stacked in San Jose at 6, I think it is. Oh, yeah. Ryan's and Ryan Austin's. And, Tyler's. Yeah, Ryan Austin's. Like four Tyler. of them there's running like, that room. Yeah. There's yeah. like 17 people who run that. It's a great place. So I'm doing that one for the first time. And then after, immediately after that show, I'm doing Bar Flexus in San Francisco. Can I ask you a weird question? Always. So you're performing at a, a female comedy festival. Yes. Do you get caught up in that, you know, the idea of performing at a female-only night or something like that? Uh, do I get caught up in it? Yeah, like, because my experience with Frascati having the, the 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 women's LGBTQ night, I get some mixed feelings from performers. I think it's great, because well, not a lot of people give a shit mm-hmm. about female comedians. I think that's why I, like, brainwash so much is, like, okay, females get priority on the list and i'm like that's great like we don't get a lot of that mm-hmm. and the more love we can get you know and especially with lgbtqia whatever other letters they've had mm-hmm. um <laughs> did i get them all stop stop yelling at me for not knowing all of it um <laughs> right. i think it's just like people who don't normally get chances i think it's <laughs> jesus I think, your parents I, think, I, I think someone heard you messed up the acronym there and you're pissed they're gonna they're, start throwing things i want to get so many letters and 
messages on Facebook. It's yeah. like, why wow, you don't got to make fun of it. And I was like, I can't, whatever. I'm not. I love you all. Um, I think it's just like, it's more spaces for us to, you know, get an actual chance to get up like and do things. Mm. I think it's great. Because sometimes from female performers, I get the idea of like, oh, this is token night. And they don't really look at it as a very serious Well, those people can thing. suck it because I'll take whatever stage time I can get. But that being said, <laughs> you know, I've gotten positive reactions as well. Like, yeah, I think it's shit. great. Today, I went to go get breakfast with friends at Whispers. And she scared the shit out of me. She just popped out of nowhere. The waitress popped out of nowhere. Yeah. Who was like, hey, do you remember me? And it just fucking shook me. I was like, whoa, like, what's going on here? And I was like, and I owe people money. So I'm like, oh, fuck, do, do we know each other? And um, she's like, no, don't you remember me? And I look at her like, oh, yeah, she performed at, you know, the Women's LGBTQ Night at Friscotti. And she was like, yeah, it was a great night. She found it very inspiring and stuff. So it's like, I, I, get, yeah. I get both of both worlds. It's just, you know, I, I'm trying to figure out how I could appease everybody. Here's the thing. You can't appease everybody. I know. I know. And the people who are constantly complaining are forever going to complain about everything. That's true. So those people can suck it and just, you know, die. I don't know. <laughs> true words of wisdom from Jen. <laughs> people can suck it and just die. If you hate on everything. It's just like... You're complaining, like, if you don't get stage time. You're complaining if someone's like, hey, I'm going to make this night about you. Mm. I think that just females. You can't please us no matter what you... <laughs> well, the thing with comedy I found strange <laughs> is that it's not... Especially if it's an open mic. It's not yeah. a showcase. It's not really about you. you. Here, you're given the opportunity to be in a more safer, comfortable space to perform. Yeah. But the thing is, ultimately, you have to bring in your game. Yeah. Once you're performing out there, I'm not going to, you know, help you <laughs> on your jokes to see if it's funny. It's, it's still, I felt, you know, a a, uh, a a workout experience. Yeah. As it should be. All of mics should be that way. Mm-hmm. All right, Jen, thank you for coming. Thank you for having me. I had the best time ever. Best time ever. You heard it here, folks. Now. <laughs> All right, we're out. Bye, love you. <laughs> there you have it, Jen Gonzalez. I hope you enjoyed that talk. We had a good time. Check her out when you can. And take care. Have a good rest of your week. Next week, we have an artist as a guest, and he's a pretty cool guy, so you want to stay, stay tuned for that. That's it for me for today, and I will, hopefully you'll hear of me next Sunday. So take care, and uh, I know people are freaking out, a lot of shit's been happening, but breathe in, breathe out. You got this, people. Breathe in, breathe out. At least I need to. Maybe meditation, maybe I should try that, I don't know. Anyway, folks, have a good one, take care, and stay cool. Cool as a cucumber. Oh, yes, you are. You are cool as a cucumber. You are amazing. That's right. I'm going to provide emotional support on the way out here. Yes, you, listener. I'm not talking about the other listeners. I'm talking about you specifically listening right now. You are a good person. You're great. Uh, it's kind of shitty what you did last week but it's okay you can always redeem yourself okay so sayonara take care next week it is